If you would this morning, open your Bibles to John chapter 19. We're going to finish what I started two weeks ago. And two weeks ago, I was, af- I was afraid that we'd have to have a break in the middle uh, because I, I thought that uh, we might be making a, a, a very quick trip to, to Georgia. And sure enough, that's what happened. But, but nonetheless, uh, we'll pick up right where we left off two weeks ago. I heard uh, good good things about last Sunday, as I always do when Lee stands in the pulpit here on my behalf. So thank you, Lee, for, for covering for me. I know you two are excited to make a trip to Florida very soon. Good times. Uh, so yeah, so John chapter 19, we'll be covering verses uh, 9 through 16, but I do want to read 1 through 16 for you this morning to just once again place the uh, the whole text within its context before you. And so I'll start to read in verse 1. John chapter 19, verse 1, God's inspired and inerrant word reads, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no fault in him, no guilt in him. And Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns, wearing the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. And so when the chief priests and the officers saw him and they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him. For I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And so Pilate said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You have no authority over me unless it has been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And as the result of this, Pilate made every effort to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be king opposes Caesar. And therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat him down on the judgment seat at the, sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement. But in Hebrew, it is called Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And so they cried out. Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And so then he handed him over to them to be crucified. Father, what a sobering passage to read, to meditate on, to ponder through, to think through, to try to draw some application from. And Father, I know I, for one, read a passage such as this and can feel an anger welling up within, thinking of how blind could these people be. 
How blind could these leaders be who knew the Bible, who knew your word inside and out, and yet did not recognize you, did not recognize you as the Messiah, as the Lord, as King, as Savior. And in the same thought, in the same wavelength, I am reminded of how many times I too fail to recognize you. And so, Father, I pray this morning as your Spirit moves among us and through us, that we would search our own hearts and our own minds, and that we too would find ourselves and acknowledge that we find ourselves in the place of these religious leaders often. And in the midst of that, we also acknowledge what you have done on our behalf, and in that, you bring great joy into our life. And so, Father, as we go on this emotional uh, roller coaster ride, if you will, this morning, I pray, Father, that as we leave this place, that it will be with encouragement, that it will be with joy, that it will be with thanksgiving, knowing that you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Actions have consequences, part two. Part two. I, I do have to just take a moment and step back a little bit um, and just kind of go over very briefly and quickly what we covered two weeks ago in these first seven verses. And what I had said then, I, I want to put before you again as far as uh, the two power players that are at work in this text. We have Pilate, the secular power, if you will. And then we've got the Jewish leaders, these religious leaders, the other side of this power players at work here in this text. And sometimes we can get focused in on Pilate, or we can get focused in on the, the religious leaders, and fail to understand and recognize Jesus as the victim. And in the time of um, disagreement, I'll try not to overuse the word power plays, uh, but in the time of disagreement, uh, there is often and always is victims within that. And we see that with Jesus. Jesus is the victim, and yet he is not the victim. And those two we can carry um, in together, even though we can't reconcile the two together. And so two weeks ago, in verses 1 through 6, my first bullet point would have been the deadly consequence of compromise. We've seen that in three subjects of the abuse of Jesus, the presentation of Jesus, and then ultimately the rejection of Jesus. And with the abuse of Jesus, all of the life of Jesus was about abuse. We often focus in so much on this Passover week, on this Passion Week as we call it, as well as we should, and rightly we would, and we think of the scourging of Jesus. We see the ultimate crucifixion of Jesus. We see the, the abuse that Jesus took upon himself. But we fail to, to at times, uh, realize that all of Jesus' 33 years on this earth was abuse, in a sense. All the years upon this earth was Jesus leaving his rightful place as God and surrendering himself, humbling himself, to live upon this earth. So it's not just the last week of the life of Jesus we must 
follow, we must look at, but we must really look at the whole life of Jesus in and of himself. I mean, I mean, obviously, for most of us, we're not going to face what Jesus faced this last week. And yet, as we look at the life of Jesus, we do often have to make decisions as Jesus himself did. How did he relate in the world which, it, which he lived in? And so that we can draw uh, some, some definite analogies and comparisons from. But anyways, that was two weeks ago when we looked at the, 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 all of Jesus' life was the abuse. And then the second point was the presentation, where Pilate came out and said, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, and you see that I have found no fault in him. Here is a secular leader. Here, here's the president, here's the king, uh, whatever title you want to give him, the man in charge, the man who, who couldn't really care less about Jesus. All he was concerned about was his, his political future. And so he would say or do whatever he needed to do to pr- protect his power position, and yet he presents Jesus before them after Jesus was scourged, brings him, him out before them and says, Behold the man, here he is, I find no fault in him. And what I had said two weeks ago was this, that, that the beating that Jesus received, Pilate was hoping to make a compromise with these religious leaders so that they would see and look upon this man who has received this abuse. This man is the one you're saying is a threat to you. And yet, Pilate's compromise failed as I might add, compromises always fail. And then we've seen the rejection. As Pilate was hoping that they would just receive the punishment that Jesus had already received and accept it and leave it at that, but they did not. They rejected Jesus. And they rejected the compromise that Pilate was attempting to make. Compromising our convictions gets us nowhere. We must choose. We must choose. Either we serve ourselves, others, self slash others, put those two together, or we serve God. We cannot compromise bringing those. We can't attempt to reconcile those two together. And I might also, just as a footnote, inject here that I'm afraid, especially the way the American church is going, because that's where we are, we certainly see those compromises being made. Where we compromise the biblical teachings, the life of Jesus, and we reconcile and mix that up with the the political leaders of this country. And as a church, we get very confused. We get very muddled in the midst of that. Our business, our business as a church as people of God, is about the business of God. We speak into about the business of God and let the rest, let, let the rest lie where it may. The deadly consequence of compromise. That was last week. Point two of this one sermon that was supposed to happen. The point two was this, verses 8 through 16, the deadly compromise of corruption. The deadly compromise of corruption. And here I also have uh, three sub-points under this main heading. And the first is the demand. We see it in verses 8 through 10. 
where <laughs> if you look at in your Bibles to verse 8, We have that um, after Pilate heard the charge. After Pilate heard the charge that these leaders were making on Jesus, it says that, verse 8, that he, he was even more afraid. And, and, and it is interesting when you see the word more, and it acknowledges that up to this point, Pilate was afraid. Pilate was concerned for his position of power. But but now that he hears that the charge, the accusation that is brought about to this man uh, is the charge that, that he is the son of God. And so he was more afraid. Well, what if it turns out that this man that he just scourged, that this man that he just abused so violently is actually a God, small g. In the pagan world that, that Pilate lived in, there had always been times of many different gods, things like that being made. Pilate had always been uncertain about Jesus. And now he hears the charge against Jesus, and now he is concerned. The pagan world of superstition that Pilate lived in was certainly one that seen many gods. There was many demigods. It was, they, they, they were certainly polytheists where, where everything was, was a god, and many different gods were, were there. And so he's in this midst. Now, he would have certainly heard and known about Jesus before now. He had his spies throughout the country, and he would have certainly heard about Jesus. And this is the concern that we see here in Pilate. And I might also say that, that fear has a way of bringing out the worst in a person. Fear throws caution and wisdom to the wind. Fear leads with irrationality. And when we're overtaken and overcome with fear, we make decisions and we operate in such a way that we may not if we did, we're not overcome with this fear. We see that in Pilate. There's no careful, and we see it in the religious leaders both also, both Pilate and the religious leaders. There was no careful investigation of the claims that Jesus made on his own behalf and that others made on his behalf. There was no thoughtful questions being asked of Jesus. There was nothing but accusations. And we see in verse 9, we see in verse 9 that, that Pilate again enters into the, the praetorium here, and he says to Jesus, and he makes this demand, where are you from? Now, that's just not a nice question. That's just not a nice question as, as we like to do at times, as we meet a stranger on the street. Hey, where are you from? Where you live? Those types of things. No, no, no. This is a, a demand. And I think within this demand and in this question, we can also see that Pilate could have been asking, oh, listen, are you an extraterrestrial? <laughs> right? Are you from heaven? Are you from this earth? Where are you from? We can certainly read that into this particular text here. And, and we see that the response that Jesus gives here is that Jesus doesn't give him any answer. But Jesus gave him no answer. Sometimes the best answer is no answer at all. I, I was convicted of this. 
Because I certainly like to explain myself. I certainly want you and you and me and especially my wife to understand where I'm coming from. And sometimes the best answer is no answer at all. Do you really think that Pilate cared where Jesus was from? Why would Jesus not give Pilate an answer? Well, maybe because Jesus obviously knew. Jesus obviously knew Pilate doesn't really care. Pilate has already acknowledged that he finds no fault in him. Why do you care, Pilate? Pilate cares more about his position than he cares about Jesus. And then ultimately, I think for us to become spiritual in this text now, we also have to understand that what if Pilate changes his mind? Right? And I know this is getting off there now just a bit, but, but, but what if Pilate changes his mind? What if Jesus can convince Pilate that he is who he says he is? Then what? Then what? Verse 10. So Pilate said to him, So Pilate said to him, Or Jesus said to Pilate, Or Pilate says to Jesus, You do not speak? Why, Why don't you ask? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority not to release you? This is the claim that is often made by those in place and position of authority. They want to say that that I have this control. I have this power over over you. And in a certain degree, they they do. But I I do want to just um, to draw an example from the biblical text. I, I do want to go to Daniel. Um, earlier than, uh, than what we've already read of Daniel. But I want to go to Daniel chapter 5. And Daniel chapter 5, I think, gives us a little bit of an insight into a mind uh, such as Pilate. And, and I think it'll be helpful for us to go through this little exercise also to understand that those who may not understand us, uh, to understand the other position, where they're coming from. And we see it in Daniel chapter, chapter 5. It's the handwriting on the wall. And, and, and I, find it, I find the irony uh, quite striking when people want to talk about non-religious people. They talk about this handwriting on the wall. It's like, where do you come up with that? You know, I always find that interesting, yet they wouldn't believe, I wouldn't believe God. But yet, nonetheless, I always find that interesting. But right here is where it comes from in Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, of course, we know that, that Nebuchadnezzar, that he had this, had this dream Right, and and he had such a such a a, a dream and, and and all that that um, um, uh, 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 well actually Belshazzar we want to first go to him that he had this dream and he sees this this handwriting on the wall and he wants to have it explained to him and so he calls up for Daniel and he comes before Daniel here and Daniel says hey hey you uh, Nebuchadnezzar your father. Because of his grandeur, which he bestowed on, because your grandeur that God bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, men of every language, feared and trembled before him. Why? Whomever he wished, he killed. Whomever he wished, he spared alive. Whomever he wished, he elevated. Whomever he wished, he humbled. And this is now what Daniel has taken his mind. I want to show you from your father... This was your father. You know this to be true. So you, his son Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. You knew what happened to your father. You knew how he was put out. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. But the God 
in whose hand are your life breath. In all your ways, you have not glorified. You have not glorified. I think within that, we, we as, as those who, who are not necessarily in a position of power, we who uh, find ourselves maybe under the thumb or under the boot of someone such as, as Pilate, we can uh, become frustrated and we can become a bit disoriented and, and all worked up about things not going the way that we would like them to go. But what we must understand is that these types, like a Pilate, like a Nebuchadnezzar, like a Belshazzar, <laughs> these types have no power. And they actually show themselves as slaves of the popular opinion. Sure, absolutely, Pilate can have Jesus crucified. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, certainly they can have people killed. But ultimately, they too find themselves under as slaves of the popular opinion and popular thought. We must, we must remember that those in power are put in power on place, on purpose, and for purpose, and they really have no power at all, as Jesus here will tell him and has now told him. And this is the response. And this leads us to point two, and that is the response. Jesus answered and said to Pilate, Pilate, you have no authority over me unless it has been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Nothing happens without the permission of God. Nothing happens without the permission of God. We see it time after time after time in the biblical text. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 45, and Jesus says, The sun rises on the just and the just. In fact, he says, He causes His sun to rise on the just and on the unjust. He sends His rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Nothing happens without God's permission. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says that we are not to fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him, fear God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, as Christian people, we must keep our perspective straight and perspective clear. Certainly, certainly we live in a time, we live in a culture, we live in a community, we live under the authority of our of our political leaders, of our secular leaders, be a better term maybe. And we, we, we live in the midst, and we must act as Christians within the society that we live in. We must be influencers of the town that God has placed us in, as the Bible would also tell us. But we must ultimately remember that it's not them we need to worry about as much as, the, as, as we do with, with staying true and not compromising our beliefs of God. Now I want to go back just, just a little bit as we look about Jesus and why he maybe didn't speak or did speak. But I want to also offer to you this morning that um, this last week of Jesus' life, just like the 33 years leading up to it, was no accident. This was not in the control of Pilate or in the religious leaders. 
Neither one of them were in control. This was the predetermined plan decided at the divine council that took place before the foundation of the world was ever laid. This was the plan. This was exactly how it was supposed to go. This was all designed and orchestrated by God. And in that, we too can take great comfort in knowing that things that happen in our life, they're on purpose and for a purpose. God is in indeed control. And I know that can come very religious, that can become very spiritual, that can become very whatever. (laughs) But that is what we are taught and must believe. And Jesus says... (laughs) You have no authority over, over me because what's been given to you from above. And Jesus acknowledges that to Pilate, but he continues, and this is the part we must pay attention to. Pilate, or Jesus continues and says, for this reason, he. And you need to circle the he in your Bible. Or cross off the he and put she, if you like. If you're she. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, commentators, as they do, uh, they can spill much ink over the he. Is it Pilate? Is it the religious leaders? Is it Judas? Who's the he? Well, the he is ultimately the he, the she, of those who have, who are, or who will reject Jesus. That's the he, the she of verse 11 that we see here. It's those who reject, those who deny, those who refuse to surrender to the lordship of Christ. In verse 12, Pilate claims sovereignty, but the Jewish leaders manipulate Pilate to perfection. Look, Look at verse 12. As a result of this, Pilate made every effort to release him. Now, I think not to, um, not to pick a dispute with our gospel writer here this morning, but Pilate could have released Jesus. But nonetheless, he made efforts to release him. But the Jewish people, the religious leaders, they cried out all the more, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. These religious leaders knew exactly how to play Pilate. They knew knew exactly how to get Pilate to surrender, though he was in the man, he was in the position of power. They knew exactly how to manipulate Pilate. And they do it to perfection. If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. They forced Pilate's hand and they caused him. He had no choice at that point. If he wanted to keep his head on his shoulders, literally, if he wanted to keep his position of power, he needed to do exactly what these religious people wanted to do. Okay, Jesus says, you're king of the Jews. Okay, now all of a sudden if they're saying, but Pilate, you too are in the same position of Jesus if you do not do something with this guy. Because if you don't, he's saying he's king. And therefore, if you're not taking care of this man, that means that he too is above Caesar. That's what you're acknowledging and that's what you're saying. He forced Pilate's 
hand. That is the response that we got here from these leaders. Verse 13, we see the confession. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat him down on the pavement, sat him down on the judgment seat, sat him down on the court of law, whatever that position was, sat him down there, and it is in this confession that we see the deadly compromise of corruption. In verse 14, he says, Behold your king. He, he comes out and he, he presents Jesus once more, and you can just kind of hear the, the fire coming off of his tongue, the anger, the frustration. Behold your king. Pilate didn't speak this, I can't imagine, in a very gentle way, in a respectful way but in a way that says, Behold, this is your king. This is who you're afraid of. Look at this pathetic man. Bloody stripped, crown of thorns on his head, totally abused, totally lacking of any energies. This is the man y'all are afraid of. This is the way that Pilate would have spoken them. And instead of coming to remorse... Instead of being succumbed by guilt, instead of confessing and repenting, these religious leaders cry out, crucify him, away with him. The anger, the fear, the power of corruption. What a confession. Do you hear those words? The religious leaders, as good little Jewish boys and girls were taught, the Shema all through their life, there is one true God. Now are saying we have no God. We have no leader. We have no king but Caesar. I was going to turn to John chapter 8, but time is getting away from me, and so I'm just going to reference John chapter 8. You can write it down for your own future study. John chapter 8, verses 31 and following. But in there we see it's very interesting where Jesus says, look, you all are trying to kill me. And they say, yeah, you're crazy. We're not trying, trying to kill you. And they say, we have Abraham. We're Abraham's descendants. We have never been enslaved to anyone. And, and Jesus says, no, actually, you, you are. We are. Every single one of us is enslaved to something, to someone. And in this text, we realize and we can see who that is when they make this confession. We have no king but Caesar. It reminds me of the words that Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You'll serve one. You'll either serve the world or you'll serve me. You cannot serve both. We are slaves either to the ruler of this world, however you want to define the ruler of this world, or you will are enslaved to the only true God. And it is at this point, I believe, that we see in Matthew where it tells us that Pilate brought out some water, washed his hands, and said, listen, this man's blood, it's on you. John doesn't record that event for us, but it would have taken place right here where he would have said that. And then in verse 16, Verse 16, so then he, Pilate, handed him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. And to the, to the them, I guess I could have done some more study there. But I guess just off my mind at the moment, who is the them? 
Of course, to the soldiers as the executioners, but it could have also very well been, and maybe that's what John is referring to, to these religious leaders that he was handed over. And again, on this side of the cross, as we sit here in 2021 in this, this building and reflect upon this event, we're reminded of why this took place. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, we're told where Paul says that he, Jesus, was delivered over for our transgressions. This is why this happened. He was turned over to them for this point for, for, for you and I, for those that he came to save. Romans 8.32 8, says that God did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us. How will he not also freely give us all things? I think we must remember and we must in this verse 16 acknowledge and realize as Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified, Jesus was handed over to die so that we might be delivered and set free from death. That we too might live eternally. This was the purpose of it all. Listen, if we compromise, we plan and want to please others, we make compromises, we lose. We want power. We want control of our life. We, we, we fail. We refuse to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Lordship of Christ, meaning that as Savior, as Messiah, as Lord, as Master. Not only do we surrender to Christ as Savior, but we must also surrender as, as Master if we refuse. That's really what corruption is all about, is refusing to surrender our life over to Him. And so I'll leave you with, with just one question, and that is, who is your king? Who is your king? Is it Jesus? Is it Caesar? Who controls your life? How do you make the decisions in your life? Jesus or Caesar? Actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. We must choose wisely. Father, I pray this morning as we reflect upon these events of your life. And as we try to cross this hermeneutical bridge these 2,000 years later and bring some kind of application, some kind of meaning to it, Lord, maybe we don't have a king such as Caesar or, or Pilate, Yet, metaphorically, we certainly could, and we certainly do. All of us are controlled by something or by someone, if we realize it or not. And as we look and reflect upon these religious leaders, Lord, I, for one, can certainly uh, judge them, can certainly make accusations against them. How blind could they be? But I really need to be asking me, what are the blind spots of my own life? How are those so-called pilots and Caesars of my life controlling me without even me realizing that they are controlling me. And so, Father, we give you thanks for what you have done on our behalf, that you voluntarily delivered yourself up on my behalf for, for our behalf. But then on the same token, Father, I want you to search our hearts and minds and to, um, to flesh out those, those little kings that we have in our life. 
I pray that you would have a blessing upon these words and the the ones that are spoken from you, Lord. Would those have root in our life and those that are not, would you just remove those from our remembrance? Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.